Thanks so much for that, Alicia. You've always got to be a little bit careful when you're a preacher and you're giving illustrations because generally someone will say, I know that person you were talking about afterwards. So let me just check. Anyone know Dennis Lee Curtis? No? Not by name anyway? All right, good. Chances are you didn't know them anyway. They were arrested in 1992 in uh, South Dakota. He was a thief. And when he was arrested, they found that this particular fella had a piece of paper, which was his code of conduct for being a thief. This is what it said. One to eight. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will take cash and food stamps but no checks. Number three, I will only rob at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. I'm not sure why. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If I chased in a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will only rob seven months out of the year. Number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich and give to the poor. Well, there you go. A nice criminal. He's got some scruples, doesn't he? Good on him. What a nice man. Now, I've got a bit of a problem with him as well, though. As a thief, when he was uh, caught, I don't think the piece of paper will do him any good. I don't think it will help him. He might be nice... But we're judging by the wrong standards. He's still a thief. He's still a criminal. You can't have that oxymoron. You can't judge by the wrong standards. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Yes, but he was a criminal. You can't have the nice criminal. The criminal with scruples. Today we come to a part of the Bible where Paul the Apostle was being judged by the wrong standards. By the wrong standards. The people in the church at Corinth had taken on a new batch of teachers and preachers that were inside their church and getting quite some attention. But as a result, Paul was being judged for his ministry by all the wrong standards. Today, we're going to look together at God's word and see what it means to do ministry by the right standards. What it means for Paul to be a right minister of the gospel. And the things we must be wary of as we seek to be ministered to and to minister to others ourselves. Just a reminder, we have a question time at the end of our sermon this morning. And so uh, you can jump onto your device, slido.com, and the hashtag for our question time there is HB for Helensburg and SP for Stanwell Park, HBSP. I'm going to pray, then we'll have a look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Heavenly Father, we ask please that this morning... You would give us your grace in uh, the midst of whatever our week has been like to hear your word, to understand it, and then to put it into practice. We ask, please, that you'd help me to speak in a way that's clear and makes sense, it's interesting to listen to, and that as a result, you might help us all uh, to uh, come into contact directly with your word. Be Be at work by your spirit today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the church in Corinth had judged Paul by the wrong standards. 
They judged him by the standards of those who had come in afterwards and started a ministry in the city of Corinth. And so after a short break of a couple of chapters in talking about generosity, as we saw last week, Paul again starts to talk about those who are agitating against him in the city of Corinth. Now, it's a difficult situation for Paul to be in. He desires to defend himself against the claims that these people would speak against him. But as you would know, it's very hard to defend yourself without commending yourself. It's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? It's very hard to defend yourself without commending yourself, without seeming to be pushing your own barrow. Pushing your own barrow was the very thing that these false teachers in Corinth were doing. And so Paul doesn't want to appear to be like them. He doesn't want to appear to be commending himself. And yet, if he does not defend himself, well, the people in the church of Corinth might lose everything. They might lose the apostolic message of Jesus if they listen to the wrong people. So what will Paul do? Well, we begin by looking at verses 1 and 2 where we see that Paul engages in ordinary ministry. Verses 1 and 2. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold to you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh." You can hear uh, in his words some opinions of those who are speaking against Paul. Oh, he's bold when he's away, but face to face he's not the same. He's humble. And he walks according to the flesh at the end of verse 2. Now, in other parts of the Bible, walking according to the flesh means walking in sinfulness. But the meaning here is different. It's not that Paul is walking in sinfulness. It's just that he's ordinary, Unlike the teachers in Corinth, Paul the Apostle lacked any divine power. He wasn't able to do the amazing, strong, wonderful, miraculous, supernatural, powerful, full of prestigious things that these other teachers were able to do. He was ordinary. He was worldly, if you like. He was fleshly. We might put it this way, nothing special. That's what Paul was like. Nothing special. He was a regular Joe, nothing to write home about. And yet Paul is going on to say that this is the means of ordinary ministry. Ordinary ministry from the apostle all the way through to today is to take God's word and to speak it in normal words. But for those in Corinth, this was not enough. They didn't want a worldly, ordinary, everyday, regular Joe, nothing special minister. They wanted the powerful, strong, supernatural, prestigious minister that came with letters of recommendation. They were judging by the wrong standards. Now, of course, we need to understand that if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and we belong to him, we are all ministers of the gospel. We are all to take God's word in whatever shape and form and pass it on to another, whether it's the children around our dinner table or whether it's the people at work, whether it's the people in our own church family as we gather together in Bible studies and church services, as we speak small words and big words, we are ministering to others. 
And yet it's important that we judge that ministry by the right standards and not the wrong ones. See, Paul goes on to say, I've actually used the right methods of ministry among you from the beginning. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Well, as the opponents of Paul say, these are strong words, aren't they? He says, we don't walk according to the flesh. We, we, we are waging war. Uh, we are not waging war, sorry, according to the flesh. He is saying we may appear to be weak, but we use God's weapons in this spiritual battle that we are in. And he uses quite strong language, uh, perhaps to speak to those who have the idea of supernatural, powerful ministry. And he says in verse 4, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Again, you're supposed to understand the imagery of war here. There's a stronghold and the weapon that will take down the stronghold is, well, it's God's word. Now, often this verse, verse 4, is used to speak about a special type of ministry that destroys strongholds. Sometimes it's called deliverance ministry, where someone who is in strong sin and can't seem to get their way out, and someone comes along with a special ability or power to undergo the the dealing with that, uh, delivering from that sin, to overcome the power of that sin. But this is not what Paul is talking about in these verses he is deliberately hyping up his language to say that we weak messengers are bringing you a powerful christ you might put it this way look on the screen you'll see a quote here uh, from uh, the former bishop of north sydney paul barnett this is what he says christians and congregations by failing to see that god's power is found in his word are vulnerable to ministers who possess or claim to possess extraordinary power. In despising Paul's humility and his ordinary humanity, his critics revealed that it was in fact they, not Paul, who were worldly in their perceptions and therefore lacking in the true power of God. Paul is saying, I am weak, but I speak a strong message that is so strong It is able to destroy whatever you like, whatever strongholds you have. It is able to cut through to the heart and take people captive to the Lord Jesus Christ that they might belong to him forever. I am able to take the simple words of the message of the gospel that Jesus died for sin and rose from the dead to prove that it was all true and let that impact the lives of people. This is why he says, again, employing the war-type language in verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. He says, in what we do, we speak ordinary language to help every hearer come in contact with Jesus and be found captive to him as Lord and Saviour. See, Paul is saying here, when I speak, 
I speak about Jesus. When I speak, I speak in ordinary words. I speak with weak weapons of power, an oxymoron to the outsider, but to the one who knows the Lord Jesus, the truth of the matter is that we speak with weak weapons of God's power. These teachers in Corinth were judging by the wrong standards. They were judging by all the wrong standards. They were watching the wrong show. It's been a little while, probably two or three years, before I was able to go to the movies again. I've just been not so long ago and saw one of those Marvel movies that's out every five minutes. Uh, And it was good. I like those sorts of movies. But they came out again. I went with Kel to watch this movie. And it was a fantastic movie. I enjoyed the movie. Can't really remember what it was about now, but that's okay. Uh, It was a good movie. I'll tell you what happened before the movie, though. The ads. Don't they go for about 4,000 hours? Uh, Your your movie starts at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You can get there at 6.30, not miss a thing. That's how it feels. I don't know if it's like that to you, but it's like that to me. And throughout the ads, uh, that's the time for... Maybe I'm showing myself here. That's the time for sort of mockery. I look at the ads and I think, that's stupid. That's a dumb ad. And we sometimes say those things out loud. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, But we don't pay much attention to the ads and we don't treat them seriously. But once the movie comes on, everybody in the cinema dies down with attention and gives their full attention to the movie. It would be strange, wouldn't it, if you came out of the movie and you started talking endlessly about how fantastic the Val Morgan cinema advertising was. You can give it a try, but it's not how it works. See, for the, uh, the opponents of Paul, it is like they are focusing on the advertisements of a movie, whereas Paul is focusing on the real thing, the movie, Why you're there. For the Apostle Paul, he is focusing on the movie, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, he is the one who is embarking in truly powerful truly supernatural, truly stronghold-breaking ministry while the others are focusing on the advertisements, the trimming, the popcorn and the advertisements. They are judging by the wrong standards. And Paul says, we, we are the ones who speak of Christ in weak words of power. And this is good news for you and for me. Because you and I are not necessarily the strongest people in the world. You and I are not necessarily the best speakers in the world. You and I are not necessarily the most able people in the world. And yet as we speak the message about Jesus around our dinner table, around our Bible study, with people after church, with people in our workplace or wherever else it might be, we know this. God is working his supernatural power through us. As he was through the Apostle Paul, he is doing through us. It's not about the strength of the messenger, but the strength of the message and the strength of the God who lies behind that message. See, friends, this is a great encouragement to us because God's word changes hearts. And we need to remember this. And Paul says to the Corinthians, you need to remember this too. Look at verse 7, the start of verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. Now, this is a funny sort of phrase just because it's from one language to another and whatever, but we might say it this way. Just look at the facts of the matter. Look at the facts. Corinthians, look at your lives. I came into your city. There was no message of Jesus, no church. I spoke a weak message of God's power and you became saved. You became saved and a, a church began 
to operate through the weapons of God's power, God's word. It worked. It worked. God's word, Corinthians, brought you from death to life. God's word, Corinthians, brought about change in your life. And the same is true for us. This is how we were changed. This is how we were saved. This is how we were brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we grow in him by his word and by the power of his word. And Paul says to all of us, look at the facts of the matter. This is how it has always been. God's word changes hearts. And so he finishes in the rest of this passage by giving three warnings to the Corinthians. Three things to beware of. Three things that we might judge ministry by the wrong standards. The first is in verses 7 to 11. He says, beware of image. See, those in Corinth were trying to drive a wedge between what they were doing and what Paul and his compatriots were doing beforehand when they were in Corinth. They were sort of saying, we're the real Jesus people, implying that Paul and his friends were not. We see this in verse 7. See it there? If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. We're in Christ too. Not just the big, powerful, supernatural guys with lots of power. We are in Christ as well. The weak messengers of power are in, in Christ also. And their critique goes on in verse 10. They say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. They say, look, Paul, your letters are awesome. They're great to read. They're super powerful. They hit to the heart and they make us feel all sorts of things. But in person, you're nothing like that. Now, who knows what Paul was exactly like in person? How his shyness and timidity perhaps came out. Now, perhaps he had a stutter. I don't know how these things played out. But in person, it was very different to how he was in his letters. But Paul goes on to say in verse 11, it's not as if we've got a different message. See what he says there? Let a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. There's no question that Paul says the same thing in person as what he does in his letters. What the Corinthians here are attacking is the style of the messenger. He has powerful letters. We like those, but he has timid speech. We don't like that. But his ministry is the same. He says the same in his letters to what he says in person, but they're just of a different style. But we don't like the different style. Here, the Corinthians are critiquing not the message itself, but its method. And this is a danger for everyone. We can, be torn in, uh, we can be tempted into thinking that the power of the, mes- uh, of the ministry of the gospel is in the method rather than the message. We can be tempted to think that the power of the gospel lies in how it's communicated or by whom it's communicated or the emotional stories that are connected to the communication. We can say, gee, that was a really powerful message. Or that was a really powerful Bible study. Where what we mean by that is, I was hit emotionally by it. It's not the same thing. See, the power is not in the method. The power is not in the image. The power is not in the the way it's done, but in the message itself. 
Now, of course, this does not allow any uh, minister of the gospel, whether it's around the dinner table, in your Bible study, or up the front of a church, to be any way tiresome and difficult to listen to. That's true. And yet, the power is not in the method, but in the message. And we live in a very Corinthian world. It's easy for us to value those who speak a powerful message in some way, shape or form. Seeing that there is power in the method, but Paul says there's never been power in the method. It's always been in the message. So beware the image. Secondly, he says, beware comparison. Look at verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Comparison is an occupational hazard for whom? Human beings. For all of us, right? Comparison is an occupational hazard for human beings. It's second nature for us to compare who is better at one thing than another. And oftentimes, when that involves ourselves, we tend not to say those things out loud, but we think them. Paul says here that I know of your power ranking structure, Corinthians. I watch a bit of sport, and I know that there's uh, in every sport at the moment, there seems to be power rankings. The team that's going better than another one for a period of time, and they're up the list, and they're down the list, and there's always comparisons made between these teams. And the Corinthians had their power rankings for the ministry of the gospel, comparing who is better, comparing one up to another. Now, why is this problematic for the Apostle Paul? Well, it's not that he feels bad about himself in some way and he doesn't like being compared and it hits to his ego in some way. No. But when we compare human messengers of the gospel of Christ, we forget that God's word is simply, uh, is simply passed through a messenger. God's word is equally proclaimed by various messengers of the gospel. And when we compare, we're focusing on the human people that are involved in the message instead of the God who unleashes the message through those people. Now, of course, there's something to be learned as we think about what others are doing. I always find it's encouraging to think about our church family and to find advice from them about how they disciple their children if they're a step or two above me. There's a healthy comparison that is helpful to find someone that's doing it better so that I might find a better way of doing it, to bring God's word to my family or to my Bible study or to my preaching, as the case may be. And you might find the same sorts of comparisons helpful. But as we compare people to people to one-up each other, we find ourselves that we focus on the people rather than God, looking for the silver bullet rather than understanding God's means of power by his word bringing the message to people so beware comparison thirdly he says in verses 13 to 16 beware boasting in others work Paul went into Corinth initially and preached the gospel and he preached the gospel in an ordinary way birthing the church there in Corinth but now these self-commending teachers were coming in and saying that they'd done it all that it was their work. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but only boast with regards to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. 
For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond, uh, beyond the limits in the labours of others, but our hope is that as, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul was not very worried about people stealing his glory, but stealing God's glory. He says in verse 8, I was given this authority over you to build you up in Christ. And I was given this little patch called Corinth to minister to you for a time. And I brought the gospel to you, but God birthed the church there. And so beware in the boasting of other people's work, Paul says, because it's God's work at the end of the day in any case. Which brings us back to judging by the right, uh, by the right principles. Verses 17 and 18 remind us once again that if there's boasting to be done, it's done in God. Look at verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. The Corinthians were judging by the wrong criteria, judging by the wrong methods. They were judging by image and strength and style and power based in their own emotions. But Paul says that's never been the method for the ministry of God's word. You speak the, God, speak the word of God through a weak, faithful minister of the gospel. And to that end, therefore, faithfulness is the test. Faithfulness is the test that these false teachers do not have. Faithfulness is the test that the Apostle Paul does have in his weak speech to the people of Corinth and the people of the world. And it reminds us of the, the key message of 2 Corinthians, that you and I, as weak servants of God, can be used by God as we speak what seems to be weak words about a crucified Saviour to bring God's power to the world. So beware image, beware comparison, beware boasting in other people's work and again come back to what God does through you and boast only in him. Because at the end of the day, the goal is faithfulness to the Lord whom we serve. Well, we're going to take some time to answer and maybe a question or two. So slido.com is a place for that. I'm going to pause for about 90 seconds and we'll be back to answer some questions in just a moment.
All right, thank you, everybody. Let's uh, have a look at a couple of the questions that are there. The first one is this. Although we shouldn't compare the messenger, is it right to say that we compare the message they have with the Bible? How else are we to know the true message? Correct, that's absolutely right. And the key is that it's God's ministry. That's the key. And so if God has spoken, uh, then we are to, uh, to listen to him. Uh, and uh, any messenger is like a, a, a stream of conduit that just takes it uh, from the power source to the, the place that it needs to go. It's like the, the plug down the corner here, the cord that goes all the way up to these lights. That's helpful, does, does its job, of course. Uh, but the power is in, in, the, in the wall uh, and it comes out through the light. I don't know anything more about that, but there you go. That's, that's as good as it gets. Um, but... Um, uh, but I know that's the case, right? So I know not to stick a knife in there or whatever because that's where the power is. That's where the power is. And it's the same for us. We're the, we're the cord and we're bringing the message to somebody else. Uh, but if we start boasting in how wonderful our power is in the cord, that's, that's just nonsense. And what happens when you compare the, the, the messengers together is like you're comparing two cords. I get that that's not a great analogy because there are some better cords than others. I know that too. But, but you understand what I mean. That there's, that's the silly thing to do because the power comes from there. So yes, when the power is in God's word, we're to stick to God's word. That's, that's the way it should be. Uh, so great. You've answered your own question. Whoever asked that, thumbs up to you. That's excellent. What does verse 6 mean? Verse 6 says, Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Good question. I'm not quite sure. Um, it's, in, it's in the context of people coming to know the Lord Jesus uh, and, and he's using big words because he's trying to communicate to these teachers who use all their big words as well. And he's saying, if you, thought, if you think your ministry is unbelievably big and fantastic and wonderful, just remember it's the ministry of God's word that's big. So whatever it's talking about, it's talking about uh, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and taking every thought captive to him. It's using that war imagery, so it's still under that heading of using the war imagery Truth is, I'm not quite sure. I think it's about uh, repentance and belief, probably. I think it's about them coming to know Jesus and those uh, who don't uh, needing to repent of their sins. Um, But that's also why I didn't mention it, so there you go. Uh, Last one, how do we understand and receive God's commendation? Uh, By being faithful, by by being faithful to that message, Uh, by being a faithful cord and conduit to bring the message of power from one uh, to another that's faithfulness that's what we've been called upon to do uh, and that's what uh, that's what God wants us uh, to do to be faithful to to him and to his powerful word uh, rather than anything else I'm going to pray heavenly father we thank you for your word to us uh, we pray that you would help us as weak servants to bring your powerful word to bear uh, in our own lives and the lives of those in which uh, around whom we have influence whether that be the people in our families, in our small group Bible studies, in our church family, even here today, in our uh, workplaces and other places. We pray that you would help us to be faithful uh, conduits of your word, taking uh, the weak, the weakness we feel and know about ourselves and allowing your powerful word to shine through. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promised to do so. We ask that you'd help us to be aware of all those fake imitations uh, and those uh, problems that come with thinking in a worldly way, but instead uh, we would remember that uh, your word has the power to change lives, turn lives around and take thoughts captive to Christ. And so we pray that you would remind us of this in Jesus' name. Amen.